How are you tonight? I have been busy. Busy, busy in the very best way. I have been walking among you again at night and a little by day. Because what a time of year it is to do that. What a marvelous time in your big cities and in your small towns. My favorite parts are the snowstorms. The times when everyone is cautioned to stay indoors and simply watch as nature takes over, as it always must. For all of your technology and your progress and your modern wonders, you cannot control nature, and a snowstorm is a reminder of this. You watch it fall, and then, then afterward, it is so beautiful and everyone leaves their shelters and revels in the beauty of it, in the sheer fun of snow and ice, because what is dangerous can also be a source of mischief and joy. This reminded me of a story. A strange story of mine. One I haven't thought of in some time. Once upon a time, there was a man who found himself lost in a deserted white land, abundant in snow and ice and frozen trees and all manner of snow-dwelling beasts, yet completely devoid of human life. At least, now it was completely devoid of human life. At one time, it may have had small villages or groups of ancient dwellers somewhere around these parts. But whoever they were, they were now gone. This land belonged now to the winter. And now, this solitary traveler. He had reached this far because he was tracking a group of soldiers. And in his pursuit, he lost them. And he lost himself in the process. As for why he was pursuing these men, it scarcely matters for me to tell you, for it was past and gone, and now he only lived for his terrible present. But I will tell his past anyway. I will tell it as simply as possible. He was a retired mercenary, who had given up everything for the one he loved. He quit everything he knew, the violence, the money any connection he had to the world of combat and war. He gave it all up, and he started a family. A family who he never imagined he'd love as much as he did. Though he took great care in choosing a new name, as well as where he would live out the rest of his days in peace and quiet and obscurity, it wasn't enough. Because one day, Several years after his sudden disappearance from the world, his little home was found out. The village he chose to live in was razed to the ground by a group of vicious traveling soldiers, seeking their own revenge on behalf of a king and country he had wronged for his own profit. And that had been the end of his little family, and therefore the end of his peace and his quiet.
He was caught off guard that terrible night, and at the sight of the tragedy before him, he had been frozen in horror and grief. The soldiers escaped with their lives, laughing and calling out in mockery as they sped away on horse, leaving him to his punishment. Once he allowed enough time for grief to turn to fury, he found his old armor and sword. He saddled his horse, and he rode off in pursuit of those who had taken away everything that made him human, after so many years of living life as a weapon for hire. That was all he was yet again, but he wasn't for hire anymore. He belonged to that gentle family that now lay in the ground, as cold as the snow that fell. And the snow, just like the memory of them, seemed to call to him for revenge, revenge. He was a weapon of revenge now, and no amount of ice or snow could chill the fire in his blood. Yet here he was, in this wide and white world, and just as his heart burned, he seemed to burn through this land, searching and searching. And despite the strength of his hatred, he was growing weak, cold and hungry. Though he didn't want to stop to eat or to light a fire, he might have to if he wanted to survive long enough to find those he sought. After that, he didn't much care what happened to him. In the light of day, the sky was as white as the snow, and the trees were barely much darker. Everything was white before his eyes. He could tell, therefore, that it was snowing heavily. How would he ever find his target in this storm? He stayed perfectly still and let his eyes close for a minute. He listened to the sound of the wind, to the rustle of the trees, to his own breath. He listened for any sign of life in these woods other than him. He let his eyes open and allowed them to adjust themselves to the brightness of the day once again. He tried to focus, focus on the outline of the trees, on the curves of the snow-covered ground, on individual flakes of snow falling, falling. And he saw movement. It was a little white rabbit. It was looking right at him, its eyes fixed. It didn't twitch the way a normal rabbit did. It didn't seem to listen in the frightened, alert way that most rabbits did when roaming around the wilderness. It was calm, and it knew exactly what it was doing. It was looking right at him. Then. It turned around and ran off into the storm, disappearing from the man's view. The man followed. Wherever it was going, there must be more life there. At least he might be able to kill his supper. He followed and followed, though all he saw in front of him was that snow. Snow above his head and below his feet. He couldn't feel his hands but he could feel the sword at his side, and that was what mattered. Lost, he became with no sign of the creature, let alone any other sign of life. 
He turned and he turned, looking for anything, but seeing only snow in front of him. Until he turned one last time, and was face to face with a strange, striking creature. No, not a creature. It was a statue. It was a figure, carved crudely in wood. It was covered in snow, but he could still make out the large eyes, the smile, the long hair, and the strong frame. It had a beautiful face and a strong body, and it seemed to be dressed in real robes of some kind. Someone had put real clothes on this statue. But it must have been long ago, for they were nothing but threadbare rags now. Hardly anything at all. As he looked in the eyes of the wooden thing, he thought he could hear someone. Someone laughing. Several men laughing. It was them. He turned around, sword drawn, expecting to see the soldiers. Instead, he saw a white fox. Like the rabbit, it didn't behave quite like a fox normally would. It simply sat and watched. And it opened its mouth a little, and from its mouth, the man swore he could hear that laughter, that strange laughter of several men quietly ringing out from the little creature. Then it turned and ran off into the snow. The man followed, and the storm grew even worse. He was growing more and more frantic. This white world was playing tricks on him, and he hadn't the spirit to decipher them. He only had the spirit to kill. In the thick snow he cried out, demanding that they show themselves, when he heard their voices again. He ran and ran, and stopped just short of colliding with another statue. This one made of stone, but it was no doubt the exact same figure. The same huge, strong shape that even our mercenary would be no match for. The same lovely eyes and mouth that seemed so strange and frightening in contrast with the brutish figure. The long hair, decorated in more detail, now with ribbons and twigs. It seemed to mock him to threaten him, and it wore old rags too, not quite as old as the ones on the wooden figure, but old nonetheless. They shook in the breeze, but they still clung to the stone. And he heard those voices again, the voices of the men, laughing and mocking him and his pain, and the terrible deed they committed against him. When he turned, once more there was simply a beast staring at him. This time, a large white stag. Its mouth was open, and the sounds were coming out of its mouth. Show me, the man whispered. Take me to them. And the stag turned and didn't run this time. It walked, slowly, and the man followed. Though famished and frozen, his breath rattling in his chest and his vision blurred, he knew he'd have the strength to repay them for their trespass tenfold. 
Though we followed closely, the stag eventually seemed to disappear into the white of the storm. And just as it did, the snow let up a little, just enough that he could see a third great statue before him. But this one, this one was different. It was carved from ice. It was beautiful. It shimmered in its translucent whites and blues. The sight of the clothes that it wore, however, made the man freeze himself. It wore the shirt, trousers, and coat of a soldier. Specifically of those enemy soldiers he had followed out here. And they were not old or threadbare, but rather brand new. Those big, lovely eyes looked down in mockery, but not at the man. They looked just past him. He turned and followed its gaze. The five men that he had been tracking, the five he had planned to find and destroy for the anguish they'd caused him, lay prostrate on the ground, as if bowing to the statue. Their knives were out and in their hands, which were bloody and raw, presumably from carving. He still heard their voices, and they were still laughing, even still. A terrible amalgam of laughter and weeping, muttering and chanting. They were, of course, naked, for they had given their clothes up to the ice god before them. But they didn't shake and they didn't shiver. They were somehow possessed with this magical, terrible fervor that was instilled in them. They had made this monstrosity. He had planned to make them suffer, but this... Somehow this seemed almost too grotesque, even for them. Almost. Get up, he muttered to them. He was angry, viciously angry. Some terrible thing had taken his revenge from him. Get up, you fools, get dressed. The snow was now completely stopped. The sky still white. But everything around him was much more visible. And when he heard the voice behind him say, They can't hear you. He turned and he saw the one to whom this desolate land belonged. Easy to tell it was his, for he looked much like his likenesses. He was enormous. His body seemed to suggest power and strength beyond that of any living mortal man, but his gentle, joyful bearing seemed to suggest no interest in using that strength. He wore robes, Many long, flowing robes that draped over his body, his long sleeves draping down past his hands and hitting the snow. He was dressed in all white, and seemed to be a part of the snow itself. His fingers were long, thin, and delicate, in contrast with the lumbering strength of the rest of his body. Just as his big, icy eyes seemed far too young and pretty to belong to the rest of him, his smile was gentle and sweet, and his hair was long and white and matted. 
It seemed to never end, forming a train with his robes into the snow, too. And snow-covered twigs peeked through that hair, along with scraps of fabric that were tied throughout it, including pieces of the men's uniform, one for each of them. In fact, he had a ribbon in his hair for every traveler who dared enter into his land and desecrate it with their disrespect of this ancient, cruel thing that reigned here. This mercenary was not used to feeling small, weak, and powerless. And he felt it now, not only because of this immense monster before him, but because his plans had been thrown into complete disarray. And now he found himself purposeless. Without purpose, grief crept back in again. Without the love of his potential revenge in his future, all he had was his memories. You're not afraid of me, the robed figure asked him. The man shook his head. No. You're not afraid of anything, the figure continued. The man shook his head again. No. Not anymore. The figure looked at the babbling, shivering men cowering beneath their ice sculpture. They are dead, if you wish it. The man fell to his knees now, finally succumbing to starvation, dehydration, and exhaustion. His vision blurred, his body numbed. The figure began to pace. He walked around the mercenary. He walked in front of the shaking men, some of whom reached to try and touch his robes or his bare feet, some of whom cowered and tried to hide even more. None dared raise their head. I have tribute enough this year from these. I do not need or desire more. But tell me this, friend. And he moved quick as a flash to kneel before the weak, destroyed man. Will it be a comfort to you to see them die? and to go home to your life as it was. The thing tilted his head a little, those big, deceptively compassionate eyes locked onto his, in an expression of over-the-top sympathy. That is, if your life can ever be what it was. The man glanced over at the soldiers. He imagined it. He imagined them dying like this, humiliated in the snow, with him being the last thing they see. Would this make the pain go away? No, the man whispered. The figure clasped its hands together in a patient gesture, as if he were speaking to a small child now. And yet... I require a tribute. The man lowered his eyes. Let them go. I will remain. 
The creature seemed to beam at this news. Willingly? he asked. The man just nodded. Oh, I have been waiting for you for a long, long time. It said, that same childish glee shining through those big, wondrous eyes. And then he dashed his hand out and into the man's chest, where he felt nothing but a cold, icy grip, clutching his heart and spreading all throughout his body. Agony it was, until it wasn't. Until he couldn't even feel the cold. He couldn't feel anything. No cold, no hunger, no pain, no hatred, no grief. And his lips curled into a strange, innocent smile as his eyes widened and turned an icy, shimmering shade of blue. He looked around at the world before him, white the snow, white the trees, white the sky, and everything seemed to sparkle. He had no memory of anything that came before because nothing mattered anymore. Not when faced with a sparkling winter wonderland such as this. The white rabbit played peacefully in the snow and made him giggle like a child. The fox chased its own great white tail and seemed to chatter and laugh with him. The stag pranced off towards its herd in a choreographed dance. And the powerful, greedy, childlike ancient thing beside him laughed and laughed too, delighting in all the wonders that snow could bring. When the group of soldiers realized how cold they were and what they had done under the terrible laughing spell that had made them carve the terrifyingly beautiful ice carving before them, their eyes grew wide with fear. They scrambled to their feet the spell now being broken. The laughing god now appeased with a companion rather than a sacrifice. And they began to run. They cried for help. A few tried to grab as many of their clothes and belongings as they could carry. And they ran off into the snow. Perhaps they would make it home. Perhaps they wouldn't but it scarcely mattered any more to the man who was no longer vengeful and hateful. He found their scrambling and their running and crying hilarious now. Nothing was in his heart anymore, except for the love of cold winter chaos. For his heart was now empty, frozen, shimmering, and terrible. The immensely beautiful god of ice raised his arm and wrapped his great robes around his new acolyte, his one true devoted companion. And who could know the destruction they might take delight in next? When I saw these two men in the snow with my own eyes, it was nighttime. 
I had heard tell from one of the surviving soldiers in a nearby village. For no, they did not all survive the cold journey home. That they must be out there still. Though he was too terrified to ever try to find them again. He realized the depth of their cruelty to that mercenary and his family, and he gave up his sword for a life of quiet and repentance. But this one soldier told me where I might find the ancient thing in the snowy woods, and his own mercenary, his laughing huntsman. So naturally I had to see for myself. In the darkness, the moonlight bounced its white light off the snow beautifully. The world was silent, and the two of them watched me from the trees. They did not laugh. They did not speak. They only smiled, and their eyes shone blue and cold. I brought them gifts. The first was a tiny marble carving of an ancient deity with large eyes and a soft smile. But for the mercenary, I brought him three little dolls made of cloth, one for every loved one he'd lost and somehow forgotten about, just in case he ever chose to remember again. This time, not with hatred in his heart, but with love. I don't think he will, but I'd like for him to have the choice to. Then I tore two strips from my black cloak and bundled these gifts together. I walked off into the night, marveling at the delightful beauty of the white, glistening snow. This winter, I hope you remember who you are and what you love. Good night, my friends. Hello, my friends. This is Kristen, your host, writer, producer, podcaster, composer, and everything. Thanks so much for listening to episode 85 of On a Dark Cold Night, and thank you for bearing with my more sparse release schedule lately. I had a great weekend last week at Horrorama, so thanks so much to everyone involved. It's great to spend time with people who love dark and creepy things as much as I do. I'd like to send out a big thank you this week to our newest patron on Patreon.com, Siege72, who pledged $1 a month to supporting On a Dark Cold Night. Thank you so, so much for reaching out and helping me do what I do. If you'd like to support the show like Siege72, head on over to Patreon.com slash DarkColdNight, where a pledge of any amount gets you access to our constantly updated soundtrack of the show. If you're not interested in the perk and just want to donate once, you can go to ko-fi.com slash darkcoldnight. That's coffee.com slash darkcoldnight. Or you can buy me a coffee or however many coffees you like and help keep this thing going. You can also check out our t-shirts and hoodies that are available at bonfire.com slash on-a-dark-cold-night. Another big thank you goes out today to Alvin S. Theodore, 
aka Kyle, who wrote us a really wonderful review on iTunes. Kyle writes a five-star review titled Perfect Weird Beautiful Art, which reads, I didn't know there were others that wanted to hear a soothing voice tell them horror bedtime stories. I discovered this after searching for that exact thing online. Kristen Zaza is a creative genius. Well done. Thank you so much, Kyle. Uh, I think this is the first time anyone's ever called me a creative genius, and you can bet that I will not be forgetting that anytime soon. I'm so, so thrilled to hear that you enjoy my work. I have another shout-out to Bones01, who left us a five-star review, too, called VERY GOOD, in all caps. It reads, The only issue I have with it is that I keep falling asleep to episodes and only remember the first half. Thanks so much, Bones01. As someone who created this podcast, because I tend to have bouts of insomnia now and then, I take this as a huge compliment. I'm glad this show helps get you to sleep at night. You can support the show like Kyle and Bones01 by leaving us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or our Facebook page, or anywhere else you'd like to spread the word. Follow us on Twitter at A Dark Cold Night, Instagram at Dark Cold Night Podcast, and our Facebook and YouTube pages just called On A Dark Cold Night. Final bit of housekeeping I'd like to share today, uh, Radio Public will no longer be continuing the Paid Listens program, so while I'm so grateful for everything they've done, Radio Public is a really fantastic resource for podcasters. I just thought I'd tell you that so that, as listeners, you're aware. Listens through their app will no longer be contributing to podcasters being paid, but I believe you'll still be able to listen through them if it's your podcatcher of choice. Thanks so much, my friends. Stay warm and stay well. Good night.